Not sure what you do for a um, celebration of a writer's death 400 years after he passes away, but if there is such a thing, if there is such a an appropriate ceremony, this would be a good weekend to do it because this weekend marks the 400th anniversary of William Shakespeare's death. Now, he was only 52 when he died, which seems incredibly young when you realize the legacy, the amount of work that he left that is, I think, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue unquestionably unmatched in literary history. Is there anybody that's going to say that there's someone who's got a library as rich, as incredible, as unbelievable as William Shakespeare? I would, I would doubt it. It is absolutely unmatched, for better or for worse. And I say that some people just fell out of their chair and went crazy that I said possibly for worse. I'll tell you why I say that. Because high school students around the English-speaking world have one of two reactions when they hear the name William Shakespeare. Either they hear it and they think, oh, you know, we finally get to do Shakespeare. I've been waiting for my whole life in school to do William Shakespeare. Or... They see it as absolute torture. Oh, oh no, we got to start Shakespeare. I hate Shakespeare. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why we have to do this. There, there does not seem to be a whole lot of middle ground among students when it comes to handling Shakespeare. So the question is, 400 years after he's died, why is William Shakespeare still typically on our curriculum? Well, here to try and explain it, Brian Wiley is a retired high school teacher from Hamilton who is, as a little bit of background, he is the teacher that Steve Pakin from TVO once had as a high school teacher and credits with, Steve Pakin credits with his appreciation of the arts and literature. He says that Brian Wiley is the guy who taught him that. Uh, Brian's still a lecturer who is actually doing four talks this weekend at Philpott Church, downtown Hamilton, on different facets and different parts of the Shakespeare story. Brian joins me now. Brian, thanks for doing this tonight. My pleasure. Uh, let me let me start right at the top. Um, am I wrong with my assessment? You taught Shakespeare for a long time in high school. That there is a love-hate situation going on among students. Some love him and some absolutely just go crazy because they don't want to touch it. Well, uh, most people's uh, experience with Shakespeare is bad. There's no question. Uh, and I would blame that on the teaching. Really? Uh, well, for one thing, mostly we have to remember that Shakespeare wrote plays. He did not write novels. He did not write books that you're supposed to sit down and read. And the average English assignment when you start Shakespeare is, okay, kids, uh, we're starting Hamlet tomorrow. Go home and read the first two acts and do these questions, and we'll take them up. Well, kids can't do that. They're, they're obviously faced with a difficulty. They can't read the language. Would you, would you teach a film course? By giving your kids a film script and say, go home and read the script and come back and we'll talk about it. No, you'd show them the movie. Well, uh, Shakespeare's plays, as in all plays, they are meant to be seen, not meant to be read. And so when, you, when the prime way of teaching a Shakespeare play is to have them read it, you're on the wrong foot right away, right away. Well, so, and Brian, is, is part of that, uh, let's be honest, is part of that because even some of the teachers who have to teach this in school don't necessarily love it and they just want to get it done, or do you think it's just a lack of knowledge of how to do it? Well, I think you've hit it on that. I, I have come across in my years of lots of teachers who hate the fact that Shakespeare's on the course because they don't like it. And now I was in a position where I, I was blessed in that I could choose my own curriculum, so I chose 
the things I wanted to do. And even even teachers who like to teach Shakespeare, very often they're given they're given the Shakespearean text they have to teach, regardless of what their favorite might be. And of course, you can't you can't teach the same play every year, which I could never figure out. There are a couple of plays that I think are guaranteed to for students to enjoy. And they're uh, not necessarily the ones that are taught. Which one would those be? Oh, the one, the number one one is Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Hormonal teenagers <laughs> who are rebelling against their parents and who are involved involved in gang warfare. Oh, come on! I mean, there's no question. Well, l- before we get too far into this, let me go back for one second. When did we? start to teach Shakespeare in English. How far back does it actually go that someone said, we need to put Shakespeare on the curriculum? Well, I can only go back and remember my... uh, I graduated from high school in 1965, and in 1960, uh, I was taught my first Shakespeare when I was in grade 9. And uh, it was just a given. You, you, I had a teacher who, who taught it by reading it to us. She had little dolls that she would hold up. And we used to get her dolls during recess and change the clothes on the dolls. And she would go berserk. And that made Shakespeare <laughs> really fun for us because she was a bit of an eccentric with her dolls. And that had no re- now today. If you were to do that and use action figures, you could pr- and put it in a video game se- uh, setting. You could probably have great success with that. But that that's my first remembrance of Shakespeare. And then I went and read Romeo and Juliet on my own. I can't even remember what play it was we were being taught with the dolls. But I went and read Romeo and Juliet on my own because I thought I'm supposed to like Shakespeare, and I did. I did like it, and I don't know why I liked it, but I did. Well, you you touch on something really I find very interesting right off the top, and that is that these are meant to be seen as opposed to oh, yeah. just read. Yeah. Hollywood and and our for most kids today going into school, they're probably not going to get to Stratford before they even start high school. So their exposure to Shakespeare, if it's going to be seen, is through Hollywood, and Hollywood has tried over the years to modernize. Shakespeare Hamlet has been done in a modern version. Yep. Um, Midsummer Night's Dream has been done, not called that, but with a few other things. Macbeth, Othello. Has Hollywood ever really been able to capture it in a way, or has it very often been able to capture it in a way that would actually make it enticing for kids? Oh, yes. 1968, Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, the best adaptation, the best film version of Shakespeare ever produced, and that that statement still holds true today. Now, um, Baz Luhrmann tried to do it with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes in the 90s, and it was really an amazing curiosity item, and there were some things in there that I thought were brilliant, but uh, you were more captivated by the the kind of the gimmickry of it and the uh it it was you know it was a really interesting production and but i don't think it it got people saying oh i got to go to shakespeare but i remember i remember the buzz in the late 60s over the zeffirelli movie uh, i was at university then and students were were like they were like going back and back to see it. They thought it was just a beautiful movie. And part of the trick there was the two the two leads were total unknowns, and they were actually 14 years of age and 16 years of age. Hmm. 
when you get a, a man playing a Shakespeare or a Romeo who's like 44, right away <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, and the first Hollywood version, the first, first Hollywood version of Romeo and Juliet starred uh, Leslie Howard, and he was 44. And Norma Shearer was, I think, 34. Well, right away, it's like it doesn't have the credibility right off. Visually, it doesn't work. And uh, the kids today are so visually oriented, it's got to visually work. And they've got to hear it. They've got to hear it. Yeah, if you have a 44-year-old man playing yeah. Romeo, it suddenly becomes a Nabokov play. Oh, not yeah. A... <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So, you but... know, there's been a lot of um, abuse or misuse in casting along the way, even even though I would recommend, yeah, they got to see a movie or something. They got to, I think, start with that, and then they can start analyzing the text. It's usually the other way around. You spend months analyzing the text, and then the teacher says, "And today we're going to watch the movie, or we're going to go to Stratford next week." And by this no, point, it, you're it's, and, the, it's the other way around. It and, should go the other way around. Yeah, and by this point, your curiosity is completely deadened. Yeah. Yeah. What is okay? Let's get to the main question, though, because however they do it, however right or wrong teachers do this, however right or wrong school boards do this, it is still there. What is so unique about Shakespeare's plays that has kept it so much a part of the curriculum everywhere? Well, I, I think the answer is quite simple. Shakespeare has said every single thing there is to be said about every single emotion, ambition, goal, dream, disappointment, uh, you name it, that a human being is going to face in their life. He has, there is a quotation for everything, and he has touched on all of that over the whole work of his plays. And so those themes that he touches on, they're, like, they're totally universal. And that's, that's the key, I think, is you've got to, in order for the kids to hear it, you've got to make sure they hear it properly so that they can connect. Because connecting with literature, that's the whole point. And, you know, the trouble with teaching Shakespeare is the trouble that a lot of teachers just have teaching literature, period. The, the, it's not, the kids don't think it's relevant. Well, that's exactly. And I pulled up, before I came on today, I pulled up a quote. Because I remember when I was learning Shakespeare in high school, the thing that drove me batty about it was not, I, by the time I tried to str- struggle through the language, I kind of lost the meaning because yeah. I was spending so much time. So here's a quote from uh, from Hamlet. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. Yeah. How how does a grade 9 or grade 10 student in the modern world who is used to now talking on social media and using short forms and probably can't necessarily write even as well as students 20, 30 years ago, how do they work their way through that and make sense of any of that? Well, uh, by the time you get to the end of it, you you see, I think it's really crucial, too, when you take out a quote, how much of the quote you give. Like, I wouldn't get into that husbandry thing at the end. I don't even know what that means. It's because it's, it's got nothing to do with what we think it's got. But all you need are, like, the first four or five words, neither a borrower nor a lender be. And right away you just ask, ask the students the question, you know, have you ever borrowed? Has anybody ever borrowed? You know, borrowing money. Some people have a general principle. They never lend money because that really causes lots of rifts in friendship. And, and that's exactly what Shakespeare is saying. 
And if you, um, it's a good principle to, now it's not a good economic principle to work by. The <laughs> banks would never use that as their motto. Maybe some of them should have. But the point is that, that a student would understand about borrowing. And it need not necessarily be money. I mean, you know, who borrowed your computer last or your, your iPad or your, your whatever? And would you lend? What are the things you would lend or not lend? Now, once you get them hooked on that, and then they realize because they, and then it goes on. The next line isn't so bad either, but I'd stop it probably after that. And it's those quotes that you you could do a whole course, and that might be the best way to do it too. Take all the famous quotes or or speeches and just zero in on them, because uh, there's a lot of meat that can be uh, understood and appreciated right off the top, right off the top. Uh, Shakespeare is quite long-winded. I'd be the first to admit that, uh, and so. You want to you want to take the wind out of Shakespeare's sails. Once you get them hooked, then they want to see all that stuff that goes around the quote, like to be or not to be. I mean, there uh, you know everybody knows that. Well, to fill all the rest of that in, then. But you got to hook them. It's like anything. If you get them on the hook, then they're ready for the rest of the stuff. Hmm. And we got to take away this reverential notion about Shakespeare. I, I had teachers that, you know, when they mentioned the word Shakespeare, you were supposed to have like a moment's silence and bow your head. <laughs> and, of course, we would laugh. Uh, because we didn't, we didn't get that. Well, because we don't bow down or reverence anything anymore. So why would you do it to Shakespeare? So uh, there's lots of myths and lots of attitudes that I'm hoping. I, now I've been retired for 15, 15 years, so I'm hoping a lot of those things have changed. But I don't know. Brian, something else about Shakespeare that I actually found very interesting, I didn't learn this in high school, I'll be honest, I've learned this since about Shakespeare, is how many of the phrases, the everyday phrases and and words that we use that he invented, is it important even now, is part of the point of Shakespeare, is it important to understand the etymology of our language and the origin of our language in order to be able to use it properly? No, because I think I think language is, is forever changing. And I think it's absolutely amazing that so many of the expressions that Shakespeare coined are actually still around mm-hmm. today. Because our language... Remember when, uh, when, when you wanted to say something was really good, but you said, oh, is that ever bad? And it meant good. Well, Shakespeare wouldn't understand that. Uh, we we have changed the language, and this whole business about you know everything's awesome or everything's this. We warp the language. So language and the dictionary, the um, Oxford English Dictionary, adds oh hundreds of words every year. The whole technological craze, for example, has changed our language tremendously. So language is supposed to be fluent and ever-evolving. I think it's greatly to Shakespeare's credit that all of those expressions are still used Absolutely. and pretty well used in their original sense. And that really helps break down the myth that, um, you know, Shakespeare spoke in a language that we don't understand, let alone use. Half the expressions we use are Shakespeare's, and we don't even know it. We yeah, don't I w- even know it. I would say that in our society right now, the two people who are most often quoted are Shakespeare and Yogi Berra. <laughs> I'm not necessarily putting them on the same place as right. writers, but... Um, well, actually, you'd have to put another one up there, and that's the Bible. Shakespeare and true. the Bible are the most quoted. And so many... Shakespeare is very, very, very influenced by the Bible. And in fact, I run a little quiz. Uh, who said this, Shakespeare or the Bible? And people usually get it wrong. I'm talking about uh, Christians who are steeped in the Bible, very often misunderstand, because it sounds so Shakespearean, or it sounds so biblical, and when put to the wall, uh, they get 
yes, the wrong one. But they know it's one of them. They know it's one of them. People who have been listening, we got to go. We're unfortunately out of time. But people who have been listening for the last 15 or 20 minutes uh, will have a very good idea that you are someone who's actually able to make Shakespeare interesting, whether they thought they were interested in Shakespeare or not. I said off the top, you're doing four lectures this weekend on different facets of Shakespeare, different connections with Shakespeare. Uh, if someone wanted to go to those, how could they go? Where is it? Tell, give the details for how they could be in there. Well, a lot, most of the tickets are gone, but I have kept aside uh, a pile of uh, kind of rush seat tickets. All they need to do is come to Philpot Church at 84 York Street Boulevard, and it's Friday night is the big opener. Tomorrow night at uh, 6.30, coffee and refreshments. The lecture starts at 7. And then there's a matinee at 3 on Saturday and an evening on Saturday and Sunday evening. And so they're... um they're they're welcome to come and um, join the group. Philpot is right across the street from First Ontario Centre, from Cops Coliseum, That's for right. someone off York Boulevard who is interested in finding it. Brian, uh, great having you on here. Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it, and, uh, and good luck this weekend with the lectures. Thanks a lot, Scott. It is, uh, I had Brian on because people who have been around this city for a while is in the education world no Brian a lot of people do he he has been a guy over the years he's been written about in the spectator he's been someone as I say off the top Steve Pakin uh referenced him when he was asked about best teacher he ever had Brian is a guy who can bring a completely unique twist to a lot of different things when he's talking about Shakespeare this weekend if you are remotely interested now if you're completely disinterested in Shakespeare I'm not sure anybody's going to make you interested. But if you are remotely interested or really interested, it may be something you may want to take a crack at to go and listen because Brian is very, very good at explaining things and making them interesting. And again, that is Friday evening at 6.30 at Philpot Church, which is on York Boulevard, right across from Cops Coliseum. If you were to walk out the the, the York Boulevard doors of Cops Coliseum, that whole bank of glass doors on the side, you'd basically fall into the church. That's where it'll be. You can go and listen to them there. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back right after this. Stay with us.